So some of you are taking this course as part of the curriculum for the Redeeming Productivity Academy. And so I want to speak briefly to where we are in the midst of our course curriculum. So we have been talking in all the previous lessons up to this point about the stage called drowning. Now, this whole concept of a productivity voyage is sort of like a roadmap, uh, a hero's journey of how you get from drowning in overcommitment and uh, too many tasks and too much to do to a place where you are sailing. You have your systems under control. Tasks are coming at you and you know how to deal with them. You feel like you're actually making progress to your goals. And so these five stages are how I hope to help you get to that point. And so in stage one, drowning, we dealt with areas like theology, spiritual disciplines. We talked about the, the five pillars of Christian productivity, how we, how we think about productivity as believers according to God's word. Uh, we also talked about overcommitment, how there's a problem that productivity can't solve. And that is no matter how productive you are, if you take on too many commitments, you can't actually do them all, no matter how wisely you use your time. But now we are advancing to stage two, which I have called bailing. And I mean bailing in the sense of bailing water. That's why I've illustrated it with a bucket. And the idea here is if the illustration is that you fall into the water and we're trying to get you to sailing, well, the first step was to get you to stop drowning, get your head above water and get you in the boat. So now that we're in the boat here in stage two, there's one thing we realize the boat has a leak. What I mean is even as you start to understand the basics of being productive, the basics of using your time well, it still tends to be a leaky system. You might even have a task manager that you use. Maybe you use the reminders app on your phone. Maybe you are scheduling appointments with your calendar. You kind of know the basics of how to keep track of stuff, but your systems keep breaking down. You don't really have a full grasp on how to keep yourself from getting back in that situation where you're drowning again. So that's what we're addressing here in this stage, which I have entitled bailing. And so the first course in this stage is this one, to-do lists done right. And that brings us to this first course in our bailing section of our productivity voyage, and that is to-do lists done right. I'm going to approach this course in two parts. In part one, we're going to deal with principles. What are the high level principles that make for a good to-do list or task manager? In part two, we're going to deal with practice. I'm going to show you step-by-step step what it looks like and how you can build your own task management system, your own to-do list system that's going to actually work for you and not fall apart every time you get too busy. So here's my objectives for this course. First, I want to demonstrate, like I said, the principles that make for a good to-do list. Um, part of that's going to involve dispelling common myths about the efficacy of to-do lists. I don't know why this is, but it seems like every other month, some major publication like the, the New York Times or, or Wired or somebody comes out with some article about how to-do lists are dead and to-do lists are the worst way to manage your time possible. Why would anyone ever do this? And then if you actually read them, you realize that these people don't actually know how to keep a to-do list and what they're suggesting is usually bad advice. So I'm going to deal with that in more in a minute. Uh, and part of the principles section, I'm also wanting to teach you the different types of to-do lists so you can choose the right tool for the right job. The 
expression to-do list actually has a wide variant. Sometimes people think you're talking about a checklist. Sometimes people think you're talking about a maintenance list. It can be rather confusing. So I want to give you categories to think in so that you can apply these principles to any sort of system, whether you want to use a planner and you want to, you want to evaluate that planner, what it can do for you in terms of being a good to-do list. These are going to give you the criteria for evaluating that. Whether you just want to use sticky notes or a basic notebook, you can do that if you understand what makes for a good to-do list. And also, of course, all the apps that are out there, these principles are going to help you use those apps as they were intended to be used rather than just floundering with them and thinking that the app itself is going to solve your problem. It's not. You have to have a, a way of thinking about task management. That's going to enable you to use whatever tool you choose well. And then in part two, we're going to talk about the practices that will allow your to-do list to serve you instead of stressing you out. And I am convinced that part of the reason people abandon to-do lists or say that they're not effective is because they're not using them right and they get stressed out by them. And so they're not actually finding them useful because they're using them wrong. And a big part of that is going to be showing you my exact process for how I manage my commitments. Um, I'm going to show you what I do in my paper journal. I'm going to show you what I do in the apps I use. And I'm actually going to walk you through a framework and exactly what I use to stay on top of all the things I have to do. And so hopefully by putting into action some of these principles, hopefully you'll be able to walk away with a system that will work for you too or at least take bits and parts of my system and apply them to what you're currently doing. So let's get started. All right, so let's get into part one of to-do lists done right. We're gonna be talking about the principles. And like I mentioned in the introduction, basically what we're dealing with here is what are the high level principles that make for a good to-do list? What are the things that make a to-do list work? What are the things that make it manageable? What are the things that make it really able to serve us? That's what we're going to be dealing with in this first section. We're going to be talking about principles. So here's a quote from David Allen. He says, your mind is for having ideas, not holding them. Your mind is for having ideas, not holding them. This is one of my favorite quotes about productivity, and this is from this little book by David Allen called Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. Basically, the book introduces you to a system for task management. And now I have some qualms with this book. I actually did a whole podcast episode called My Beef with David Allen and Getting Things Done. But for the most part, I really do like it. And you'll see in this course, if you read the book, that I borrow heavily from this methodology. But I love this quote that David Allen uses, your mind is for having ideas, not holding them. And this speaks to this question of why do we need to-do lists to begin with? I think it's a fair question to ask, why do we need to-do lists to begin with? I mean, I think if you think about the olden days, right, you, you can't imagine that people 
in pre-modern times had to use to-do lists. You know, maybe they were out in the fields and they harvested the wheat when it was time to harvest the wheat. They milked the cows because it was time to milk the cows. And so why do we have to make things so complex? Why do we need these stupid systems just to manage our life if people have survived for millennia without them? And the first reason I think we need to-do lists is because we live in a complex world. Modern times are complex. The, the knowledge economy, no matter where you're living or what your job is, there's too much information flying at us. There's too many things to do. There's not enough time. And basically it's just complex. We got a lot going on. And since we have a lot going on, we need to manage it somehow. And the problem really comes is that our brains were not designed by God to handle this level of complexity purely through memory. And what I mean is, for whatever reason, our brains cannot store all of the different things in our heads at one time. And we could have a theological discussion about whether this was part of God's design for a limit that humans would have on their minds. Of course, we are not uh, limitless like God is. But there really is another factor at play here as well besides God's design, and that is the noetic effects of the curse. And that's just a, a fancy way of saying that the Genesis 3 curse, right? When man fell into sin, we got put under a curse, right? The the woman's uh, labor became more painful in, in childbearing. To Adam, he said that the ground is cursed and that in toil and in labor and sweat, he would uh, get food from it all the days of his life. Work is hard because of the curse. But one of the effects of the curse, one of the effects of sin is what is called the noetic effects. And noetic just basically speaks to how it's affected our minds. Uh, a simple way to put this is that sin makes you stupid. We are limited in so many ways because of God's curse on sinful man. And one of those ways is our minds. We cannot operate at the same level mentally that even Adam and Eve could have because man is fallen. So I think it's really helpful from a Christian perspective to always consider the, uh, the theological, and in this case, anthropological, or the, theolo the theology of man implications for how that affects our work. Uh, because it would be easy to be a little bit sort of, I don't know, overly pious and say, I don't need to-do lists because God didn't design us with to-do lists. He's made us perfectly. We don't need additional helps from the secular world. And look, that, that might make sense in your head, but that really isn't quite right. You're, you're committing the naturalistic fallacy. You're assuming that because something is natural, that it's good. And because to-do lists are this um, invention of man, that somehow it's bad. But that's not true. That's not true. Because man is fallen, there are problems with us, with our, our nature. Okay, I'm getting too deep in the weeds here, but hopefully you guys are following along with me and hopefully this is somewhat helpful to you. My point is simply that because of our natural limitations, God has wisely and through his common grace given us access to tools and to wisdom to use those tools so that we can um, 
sort of scaffold our own natural limitations and extend our uh, our reach of productivity, of stewardship, of fruitfulness. And I think that's really cool. And one of the ways that we can extend our reach of fruitfulness and we can sort of overcome some of the noetic effects of the fall is by using a tool like a to-do list to be sort of a second brain that doesn't forget as much as our fallen minds do. Look, here's the bottom line. If we want to successfully operate in a complex world with the broken brains we have, we need a to-do list. We need something that is not going to forget that we committed to do X, Y, or Z. And that's what a to-do list does for you. Okay, we're still on the subject of why you need a to-do list. And in the last segment, I talked about some of the uh, limitations of our mind, some of the uh, theological reasons why we need some additional scaffolding for our memory to operate in a complex world like ours. And in this section, I want to talk about some of the psychology behind to-do lists and specifically something called the Zeigernik effect, which speaks to how a to-do list helps you to be more focused and less stressed. So let's do a sort of brief history lesson here. In the 1920s, there was a German psychologist whose name was Kurt Lewin. He became fascinated with the fact that waiters seemed to be able to remember orders of even a huge group of people. But once they had taken the orders and, and delivered them their food, they seemed to completely forget about it. Uh, the story goes that he had been out to eat with some friends and he had forgot his hat inside. And so when he returned, this, this waiter who had been so kind and friendly and he'd been so impressed by how the guy remembered all of their complex orders and everything, the guy didn't even remember who he was. And he asked him what he ordered to eat and he didn't remember what he ordered either, even though it had only been like five minutes ago. And so he started thinking about this. What is it? Why is it we're able to hold stuff in our minds for a short amount of time while well, it's important, but then it can just be completely gone later? And one of his students, a Soviet psychologist whose name was Bluma Zygernik, there's a photo of her there. She picked up on uh, Kurt Leuven's research and she dug even deeper. So basically what she did is, is Bluma did a series of experiments where volunteers were tasked with a series of like complex things like assembling a cardboard box or making a clay figure or doing some math, something that really took their attention to do it well. But what she would do is she would interrupt them which I imagine was probably pretty frustrating, but she would interrupt them frequently in the middle of this highly focused task. And she would see what they would remember from these things she'd asked them to remember. It's an interesting experiment, right? So what she discovered through these experiments was a sort of quirk of the human mind. She discovered that when we leave a task unfinished, we can't stop thinking about it. This is what, speaking of David Allen, this is what he calls in, in his book, he calls these open loops. That if you leave something unfinished, your brain is always kind of working on it. It's why you'll wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and be like, did I remember to lock the car? It's because in the back of your mind, you're always thinking about unfinished tasks. It's what leads to us being stressed out because we have too much on our plate, our minds feeling all foggy and fuzzy because there's just too much that we have committed 
to. This is why, as I said in a, in a recent podcast, this is why you feel so frazzled. Uh, modern life uh, is full of all these requests, all of this stuff coming at you all the time, emails, requests, texts, the calls you have to return. All of these different commitments are constantly bombarding you. And if you don't have a system for dealing with those, you are going to be upset, distressed, and stressed out because of this Zygernik effect thing. And really here in summary, this is what the Zygernik effect is. It's the psychological tendency to remember an uncompleted task rather than a completed one. So just as the waiters forgot about the orders after they were no longer relevant, after they were complete, in the same way, the waiter has all of that stuff in his head and has to be focused on it while the orders remain incomplete. That is what the Zygernik effect is. So as long as your plate, as it were, is full of incomplete tasks, commitments that aren't fulfilled, you will be stressed out to a degree, or at least preoccupied. And there are consequences to that because it means you're not going to be able to focus really deeply on the thing you're working on, unless there's a way to overcome the Zygernik effect without actually completing the task at hand. And so you say, Reagan, what does all of this talk about psychology and Germans, <laughs> Swiss, have to do with to-do lists? Well, it's really quite simple. There is a way to use the Zygernik effect to your benefit. There is a way to sort of trick your brain into letting go of incomplete tasks and, tr and let making your brain basically treat those tasks as complete even when they aren't yet. And that is where a to-do list or a commitment management system comes into play. And look, as long as we're talking about psychologists, let's talk about a couple more that picked up on this and started to apply this study to productivity. And this is why this is so important to us today. So in 2011, two other psychologists, Mazikamp and Baumeister, repeated a Zygernik's experiment where she would interrupt people in the midst of complex tasks, right? But they did something different. They added another group. One of their groups, they allowed the participants to write out a plan of action for how they were going to complete the task they had started on. They allowed them to write out this plan before they were interrupted. And lo and behold, what they found was even after they were interrupted, these people were able to return to the complex task and finish it efficiently. And when interrupted, they were able to actually put their mind and focus on what other interruption, whatever quiz or whatever they were given during that interruption. They were able to fully focus on that task, switch to it, and then switch right back to that hard thing they'd been working on without losing it all or having to have it start all over again. So what's the takeaway for us? Well, the takeaway is when we offload the unfinished things in our lives into a trusted system, we are able to think more clearly, execute more effectively, and ultimately become better at keeping our word to people, not to mention more productive. And a great trusted system to have is what we might call a to-do list. But if we're going to take advantage of this Zygernik effect, we need to make sure that we are doing to-do lists right. And that brings us back to what I was saying here, which is why do I need to-do lists? 
Because if you want to be productive in the complex modern world, you must learn to get commitments out of your brain and into an organized and trusted system. You have to get the commitments out of your brain and into an organized and trusted system. And that's exactly what I'm going to show you how to do throughout this course. But before we get into exactly how, I want to talk a little bit more specifically why this is such a critical thing for Christians to concern themselves with. Why it's not just that this is beneficial to you, but this is essential if you want to make the most of your life for God's glory. We'll talk about that next. All right. Well, I just had some delicious ravioli for lunch, and now it's time to keep going with our course here. So we've just talked about uh, why to-do lists are effective or why we need them, right? And we talked about some of the theological reasons that our minds are limited. We can't hold all of the tasks that are required of us to hold in our brain because life is so complex these days. And we talked about some of the psychological reasons and we talked about the Zygernik effect and how if you offload some of your tasks, some of the things that are taking up your attention into a trusted system, like a to-do list, that you can actually be better focused on the thing you're actually working on instead of all the things you think maybe you should be thinking about. And that's all well and good. And hopefully you have been convinced somewhat that a to-do list is a helpful thing for you to use in your life to manage the complexity of modern life. But I actually want to go one step further still, and I want to show you that not only is a to-do list a good thing to use, but you should care about this. And what I mean is we might be tempted to think that, yeah, a to-do list might help me better manage the complexity of life, but that seems hard. It seems like a lot of work to manage a to-do list. And I don't really want to deal with all that. So I just want to make really quick case here for why you should feel compelled to take advantage of a system like a to-do list, like a commitment management system to keep track of your responsibilities and your commitments. So I've entitled this section, why should Christians care? Why should we care? And the first reason we should care is that God is an orderly God. God is an orderly God. And I get this from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, which reads, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And this, of course, comes from Paul when he is writing to the Corinthian church about their issues with spiritual gifts and how their worship services had become chaotic because people were all speaking out of turn and it was getting wild up in there. And so he said, listen, here's a principle I appeal to. God is an orderly God. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And I think we also see this in creation. We see that the world is an orderly world. God has designed the days and the the phases of the moon and the world to function in an orderly manner. And, and by observing those things, we can observe something about the, the character of God. Namely, that he's orderly. And my argument here is simple. As creatures made in the image of a God who is orderly, ought we not also to be orderly people? And so if you face the temptation to say, I don't really want to, I don't want to dig into this. I don't want to have some complex system. Uh, and you're feeling resistant to this, which, which does happen. You know, often we're resistant to scheduling our time because we feel like it's going to be a burden or it's going to be an additional weight for us to carry. Um, I'm arguing 
one, it's not actually an additional weight. It'll make your life easier. I really do believe that. But two, even if it presents an additional burden, I think we have sort of a responsibility here to not be disorganized, to not be chaotic, but to be image bearers of the one true God who is an orderly God. Second, not only is God an orderly God, but we also want to be faithful stewards of God's gifts. Why should we care? Because we want to be faithful stewards of God's gifts. It says in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. We want to be faithful stewards of God's gifts. And we are, each of us, stewards. We have been entrusted with this time. We've been entrusted with these resources. We've been entrusted with whatever commitments we have to manage. And we want to be faithful because we're managing these things and these lives on behalf of God. And so why should we care about keeping a to-do list? Because a to-do list is going to help you to be more faithful with what God has entrusted to you. And third, not only do we want to be faithful stewards of God's gifts, we want to be faithful servants of others. We want to be faithful servants of other people. And here we look at Matthew 20, verse 26. You know, this is when the disciples are are arguing there. So, well, who's going to be the greatest when your kingdom comes? And he says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. In God's economy, the pathway to greatness is through service of others. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God love your neighbor. This is the summary of Christian duty. This is what it means to to live a life serving God, is faith-fueled obedience towards God and in service of other people. And so if we want to be great in God's economy, in his kingdom, we must be servants. And I'm arguing here that servants should be faithful. We should, as people entrust us with responsibilities, as people ask us to do things and we agree to them, we need a system for managing those commitments so that we actually do them. And that is why you should take the effort, take the time, and invest yourself in the process of learning how to manage a to-do list well. Okay, well, hopefully I've convinced you that you should care about managing your to-do list well. In the next section, we're going to be talking about what are the features that make for a good to-do list. So I'll see you in the next video. All right, so we've been talking about the principles of a good task management or commitment management or to-do list system, whatever you want to call it. In this section, I want to talk to you about what are the specific features that make for a good to-do list. And again, we're, we're talking theory here. We're talking high level. What is it that will make a to-do list work for you? Whether it's on paper or it's on an app or whatever you use, these features should be present to make it function well. So what are the features that make for a good to-do list, whether it's on paper, in an app, or something else entirely? Well, the first one is that it is external. And by external, I mean it outside of yourself. Your commitment management system needs to get your commitments out of your head and into a system. And it doesn't matter what that is, but it needs to be outside of your brain. Second, it needs to be singular. 
What I mean is there should only be one place that you need to go to capture or review your tasks. So tell me if this sounds familiar to you. Maybe you look around at your computer monitor at work and it is covered with sticky notes. Maybe you open up the inbox of your email and you have all of these emails in that inbox that have things you're supposed to do in them. Maybe you flip open your, your paper notebook and there's a bunch of tasks in there too. Or maybe you open up the notes app on your phone, there's tasks there. You get the, the point is many of us have tons of places where we write down stuff we need to do. This doesn't work. We need to take all of those and put them into a single place so that when we check this place, we know we're looking at the whole picture. And when we go to add something, we make sure we add a new task or new commitment to that specific list. Otherwise, you will never learn to actually trust your system. So singular should be only one place you need to go to capture or review your tasks. Actionable. Uh, features of good to-do list. Actionable. It should tell you what you need to do next with minimal interpretation. And I'm going to show you how to actually do this, how to manage all of your list to, to make it so when you go to look at it and you say, what do I do next? It's just super clear. You don't even need to go into planning mode or think really much at all because you've already done that in advance. I'll show you all that step by step soon. But this is a feature of a good to-do list. It's actionable. And fourth, it's trusted. You have to have confidence in your system that you have to have confidence that you're not going to lose this list. That's not going to be destroyed or that you're going to forget about it for weeks. Uh, this is one of the most essential parts of a good to do list. This is actually the feature that makes the Zygernik effect actually work. Uh, if you don't trust the system that you're offloading your tasks into, you will still be preoccupied with them. Your brain won't know to let go of those things that they're already taken care of, that they're, they've been captured somewhere where you're not going to forget about them. So trusted is important. So remember, these are all things you need to be thinking about as you're evaluating a system to use, whether you're going to use a bullet journal method or a specific off-the-shelf paper journal or OmniFocus or Todoist or whatever. You, you, you should look at these criteria as you consider what tool to use. A fifth, it should be simple. And I, I don't mean like simplistic. I mean, not overly complex. Uh, your to-do list should be a place that you can go to provide clarity in the midst of chaos. When you don't know what to do next, you finished a task, you should be able to go to your to-do list and it'd be really, really obvious. Ah, yes, now I should do this. Or here's another thing for me to tackle. And so I really think that when your plans blow up, your to-do list is where you should go to sort of reorient yourself. You know, you get interrupted in the midst of a day. You get totally thrown off your groove. Where do you go back to reorient? What was I working on? What do I do next? Your to-do list should be that place. And so it has to be simple or not overly complicated to enable you not to get lost in it like we do in so much else in life. And finally, it should be engaging. It should be engaging. A good to-do list should invite you to focused work, not overwhelm or confuse you. What I mean is I, I, I talk about this in my Power Mornings course about the, the place you do your morning routine in, that that should be inviting, that should be engaging, it should be something enjoyable. I think the same is true of the to-do list software or paper or whatever 
you use. We should not discount that we are integrated beings, that whatever system we use should be enjoyable. And for me, that's actually one of the reasons I use paper for my daily tasks, and I use an app called Things for capturing my long-term stuff. Don't worry, I'm going to show you my own system later on in this course, but I use those because I find them engaging. I like to open it up. It doesn't overwhelm me. It doesn't scare me. It doesn't uh, make me nervous. You know, like some systems are just so complicated to look at. It, you're not going to actually want to use it. You're going to dread opening it. Um, and so this speaks to the system itself. It also speaks to your own organization of that system, making it curated, making sure you're tending your garden so that when you open it up, it's like, ah, okay, here's clarity. This is what I need to do next. So those are my six features for what I think makes for a good to-do list. This actually, I tried to make an acronym out of this, and uh, I put all the first letters of these into like a word unscrambler program online. And the only word that this spelled with these letters was teases. And I didn't like that. So, <laughs> But if you want to remember these, these six features, it does, you can't reorganize the letters and spell teases, but I don't recommend it. All right, let's go to the next section. All right, you've made it this far through all of that preamble, but we are still on the principles section. So I want to show you the sort of framework that I use when engaging with a to-do list. And then we're going to show you the different lists you can use with this. And then we'll move on to the next section where we actually put it into action. So this part's like really, really critical to the whole thing. So if you've been zoning out through the last few sections, zone in. And let's uh, look at COPE. So this one I did successfully, I think, come up with an acronym that isn't teases, uh, COPE. Uh, and I like this one because it uh, really is what we're trying to do. We're trying to cope with the complexity of life, all the tasks that we have before us, C-O-P-E. And the first way to cope is to centralize, centralize. And what I mean by that is that we need to have a master system into which we capture everything. So this is sort of the first step is whatever tasks you have, you centralize them into your system. And I'm going to show you exactly the steps on that in a moment. The second is we organize. Once we have our tasks and our commitments captured, we want to quickly be able to identify their status, group them by project, uh, and look at where they fit within what we already have going on. Third, we want to prioritize. Once we've organized them and they all make sense in there, then we need to have a decision-making process. What needs to be dealt with first? Um, you don't need to know the perfect order to work through your things in, but you do need to go through the step of deciding what is the best thing for me to do next. How do I, how do I evaluate if this is urgent or important? All of that productivity -y stuff that we have to do, that happens during the prioritize phase. And finally is execute, or you might call this one engage. And this means that we have to do the next thing. Once we have captured, centralized, we have organized, we have prioritized, now it's time to engage and execute on what the next task is. And why is this part of the process that seems so obvious? Because this part involves focus. This part involves knowing how to engage with what's in front of you and using a to-do list to hold back the tides of overwhelm or 
complication that might prevent you from being focused on only the thing you should be working on. This is absolutely critical. A lot of times people get the first few of these and they have a good to-do list. They've got it organized. They know how to prioritize it, but then they are actually overwhelmed by the to-do list and they don't know how to focus in on just the thing they've decided to work on right now. This execute part is probably the most unique aspect of my personal approach to uh, to-do list management. All right, so in the next section, I'm going to show you how we are going to take cope and apply it to the four types of lists that you need to be keeping. So I'll see you in the next video. All right, so in this section, we're going to talk about the four types of lists you need to be keeping and how this works within the COPE framework we talked about in the last video. Again, a lot of this is not um, original to me. I'm borrowing heavily, as I've said, from David Allen and from other people that have written on this subject. And also, I've kind of mixed in a little dose of my own personal uh, systems into this. But this works for me. And so I'm going to show you how this four list method can hopefully work for you, too. And just one other caveat before we show the four lists. Um, this might sound daunting to say you need to have four different lists. I thought we were talking about to, a, a to-do list. But what I want to show you here is most um, apps and modern task management software actually combine all these lists into one. But my objective here is to show you how these discrete parts of what you might already know as your task management system, how they work and sort of how you should be thinking about each aspect of them. And the hope again is that by understanding these things at a deeper level, you can actually take better advantage of the apps on your phone or your computer if that's how you choose to engage with your to-do lists after we finish this program. So what are the lists? Well, this part, guys, guys, hang on. I made an animation for this. That's right. I spent way too long in Keynote making an animation, so observe. All right, so the first list is the inbox. Now, the inbox is the place where you take all of your tasks as they come to you and you put them in that, remember, singular location. The inbox is most closely associated with the centralized part of COPE, the C. We are centralizing. We are capturing everything into a singular place. That place is the inbox. Again, we'll talk about how this actually looks in practice, but this could be as simple as a piece of paper or a, a tiny notebook you carry around with you all the time. In fact, when I used to do on-campus college ministry before I had a smartphone years ago, uh, I carried around a tiny notebook in my back pocket, and that was my inbox. Someone would say, can you pray for this thing? I'd write it in my tiny notebook. Somebody would say, can you uh, meet me at this place at this time? Write it in my tiny notebook. Everything was captured in a single place. Nowadays, I use software usually to capture this, but anyway, I get ahead of myself. The next part after inbox is the projects list. So once you've captured everything into your inbox, you want to sort them. You want to organize, right? This is the O in the cope. You're trying to organize those into individual projects. And this might mean grouping tasks that you've uh, captured that have to do with the same project, or it might mean expanding. You Maybe you jotted down something like... Um, get the car fixed. But really, that involves more than just one action. You need to turn that into a full 
project. You know, the, the next action might be call the mechanic and then take the make an appointment, etc. Right? Anything David Allen says anything that involves more than one action is a project. And so that's what we're doing at this phase. We're turning our inbox into lists of different projects. After that comes the actions list. So out of these projects, you want to pull out the actions. That's This is still part of the organize phase. You're choosing what are all the action steps that you need to do to make these projects keep going. This involves several things, which we'll, we'll show you when we get to the practice part of this. But the point is that part of organizing is developing your projects into the actions that you actually need to do to move them forward. Next, you have a future list. This is a place to store projects away from your, uh, your vision, away from where they're going to distract you uh, from doing what you need to be working on today. And in David Allen's system, he calls these someday slash maybe lists. And this is just a place where if you have a great idea or something you'd love to get to, you can, you can capture it, organize it into a project. And then eventually when you're going to the organized phase, you're going to move some of those projects off your plate to be reviewed at a future date when you go through um, the various review cycles that we'll talk about in a little bit here. And the fifth and final list that you need is the daily list. And the daily list is really the, the, I say secret sauce a lot, but this one is the secret sauce. This one for me has been pretty life-changing with how I approach task management. You know, a lot of people might make daily lists without any sort of reference to those other lists. So maybe if you've never gotten into to-do list management, you have sat down, you've written on a sticky note, these are the things I want to do today, right? That is great. That's helpful for the day. But what's really neat is if that list can correspond to your larger projects, your long-term ambitions and goals. And that is how I see it is with the daily list. What you're doing is you are highlighting and grabbing some tasks or a project or two from your projects list and you're drawing it down into your separate daily list. And I say separate because the way I do this is I do not want to see my projects. I don't want to see anything but what I'm working on today when it's today. And so my, my process, as I'm going to show you guys in a little bit here, is I look at my task manager, which for me, I use software called Things to look at all my projects and organize them and capture things. But when it comes to the day of, I grab this little notebook here and I copy by hand only the projects and tasks that I want to work on today. And that saves me from the overwhelm of seeing those big long lists because guess what? It's not relevant. The only thing that's relevant to me when I'm in working mode is what I'm working on right now. Daily List helps you to do that. I'll show you how those all fit together in our next lesson. So these are the five lists that you need in order to manage a good to-do list. I know, 
I said list, but it's actually multiple lists. In the next segment, we're gonna move out of part one principles and into part two practice. I'm gonna show you what it actually looks like to put the COPE framework into action with these lists. And first we're gonna do it physically with paper. And then I'm gonna show you how to do it in several different types of to-do list management softwares so that no matter how you wanna approach this, whether you're a paper person or an app person, you will see how to use some of these principles. I'll see you in part two. All right, guys, we come to the practice portion of our course. In part one, we laid out the principles, explained to you the uh, COPE framework, how that works, what we do with it in principle. I also talked about the five different types of lists that we're gonna be using to do to-do lists right. It's very hard to say the name of this course, to-do lists done right. That's what we're trying to do here. And so this might seem a little bit complicated if you're just jumping in. So hopefully you did all of part one and the principles. This will make a lot more sense for you. So what I've done here is I've actually laid out the five different types of lists we talked about. Remember we talked about inbox, project list, action list, future list, and daily list. Well, here they are. I have here inbox projects, here is an action list for a specific project, here is a future list where projects go that I wanna kinda of put on the shelf, and we have a daily list. Now in this part, I wanna show you how these correspond to the COPE framework, and hopefully that'll clarify things for you, and then we'll go one by one and show you how stuff goes down each of these lists and what we use them each for. Okay, so, uh, Let's do it like this. So this in the inbox, this corresponds with the C in COPE, okay? Remember C was centralize, centralize, right? So everything that goes in the inbox, our objective here is that we would centralize it in one place. Next up is the organize phase, the O, and that is our projects. We turn inbox items into projects. And then those projects are prioritized. We move them into action lists, or we move, we create action lists for the project, I should say, and we move some projects to the back burner because they are not a priority right now. And then finally, we introduce the execute phase, and that happens in our daily list. And that is where we actually are living. When, you, when you're in planning mode, you're doing all of these things, right? Stuff is arising, and you're centralizing them, new tasks, new projects. You're clarifying them here. You're making them a little bit more plain for yourself. Then you're, you're assigning actions to them, and you're deciding what order am I going to tackle these in, or really, which one am I going to tackle first, and what am I going to say for later, but execute, that's where you live. That is today. That is actually what you're doing during the workday. And this is arguably the most important list you can have in your to-do list management system. Okay, in the next video, I'm going to show you that C for centralize. We're going to talk about how to actually use an inbox, and we're going to go through and process some things that uh, might come up in your day-to-day -day life. I'll see you over there. Okay, let's talk about step one, centralize, and how to apply it to your inbox. How do we actually process stuff as it comes at us? Um, before we jump into that, I just wanna say a couple of things. First, as I said before, this might feel and look a lot like David Allen's system. He has five steps, I have four. Look, if you wanna do it this way, you can do it, um, read David Allen's book, or go just look up the five steps. I find it easier 
and more um, practical the way that I'm doing it with four steps. So just wanted to disclaim that to you first. The second is if you might see something like this in David Allen's book, Getting Things Done, this is the flow chart that he uses to organize what the next, a next action is and all of those things. What I'm doing here is sort of based on this, but it's more simplified. Um, I will link to this flowchart. You guys can see it, but I will also show you my own flowchart, which is a little less complex than this. And I think it's a bit more realistic to do it the way that I'm suggesting than the more complex way that Alan has it in his book. Okay, so we're talking about centralizing stuff into your inbox. What might that look like in practice? Well, Remember, the point of centralize, or you might even call this capture, that's what Alan calls it, but it's to bring everything into a single place as it happens. This is the reason you always want to have whatever you're using for your inbox with you. So for example, um, when I, I think this is from 2012, this was the actual notebook I used back then to capture things as they happened. This is very old, and whenever a new, project idea came up to me or an appointment I needed to make or something popped in my head that I needed to do an errand, it would go into here for processing. So you could use something like this if you don't want to use a smartphone or you could use the Reminders app on your phone or Hey Siri or an app like Drafts that allows you to quickly capture stuff. The point is this needs to be something that allows you to capture any open loop as it happens to you right away. If you try to remember it, you're probably gonna fail. So let's do a couple examples with this so that we can kind of work it through this centralized phase. And then in the next video, I'll show you how we actually organize these things. But let's deal with centralized first. Let's come up with a few things that might be normal, things that we would be, that would come at us during the week. How about dog vet? Right, I, I remember, oh, I need to take the dog into the veterinary appointment because he's, uh, he's, he's vomiting everywhere. Um, that would be one you might jot down in an inbox. Um, get milk, so you're, you know, your, your spouse reminds you, hey, we're out of milk, can you pick that up on your way home? You need to jot it down somewhere so you don't forget. Um, another one might be a little more complex. You realize, you know what, my website is out of date. I wanna rebuild website. So you jot that down, you don't leave it to your memory, you make sure you put it somewhere that you can find later. Um, plumber, you might, you might even in your inbox, you might just write something very shorthanded like plumber, you remember there's something wrong with the sink and you need to call that plumber, you keep forgetting because every time you run the garbage disposal, it makes that awful sound. And so you know you need to call the plumber. So this is kind of a, short brief example of the types of things that fly at us during the day. And the most important thing you can do here is capture them in a central place. That can be paper, that can be your phone, doesn't matter. Capture it somewhere, centralize it in a repository that is not your brain. And these things can be uh, fragmented thoughts like these, like I wrote shorthand plumber, dog vet. As long as you know what they mean and they make sense to you when you come back to process this. And we'll talk about um, rhythms of processing daily, weekly reviews, things like that in uh, a future video. Just make sure whatever you put into your inbox is not so shorthanded that you have no idea what it means when you come to the organize phase. And that is where we will turn to next. How do we take these inbox items and turn them into something doable? Okay, so in the last video, we talked about the centralized phase. Now we're gonna talk about step number two, which is organized. And this is all part of our COPE 
diagram, C-O-P-E. So we centralized things with our inbox. We captured everything into a single authority of truth for the stuff that is coming at us, okay? So we captured a few different things here. Now we need to turn those into projects. This is our organize phase. This stuff needs to become actionable. It has to go from scribbled notes to self to next steps. So this phase has several questions you ask yourself. You look at what's in your inbox and you ask yourself some questions about each of those things, okay? The first question you're going to want to ask is, am I still committed to closing this open loop? Do I still want to do something about the vet? Maybe the dog died. Now I don't need to call the vet anymore. Sorry, that was a little morbid. Um, but maybe it just, it no longer is an issue, right? The dog healed on his own. It was a miracle. So we don't need to do anything about that. So am I still committed to this one? Well, no, I don't think I am committed to this first one. I'm going to just cross that one off. I don't need to do that one. Do I still need to get the milk? Yes. Do I still need to rebuild my website? Yeah. Do I need to call the plumber? Yeah. All those are still yes to this first question. Now, the next question is, what is my actual desired outcome? So this is where you really start to define your definition of done. What is it gonna look like for this project to actually be completed? A lot of our projects die on the vine, meaning they, they sit here in the inbox in, in this undone state where they're just clogging up our mind simply because we didn't take two minutes to define clearly what we were actually trying to achieve. I've heard it said that procrastination is just your brain telling you that you don't have a plan. And that has so often been my experience with things like this where that sit on my to-do list forever. Usually it's because I haven't taken the time to actually clarify what it is. And I do this as part of the organized phase. What is my actual desired outcome? So let's look at get the milk. Let's say get the milk is my project. Let me cross that out. Get the milk. And this one might seem a little pedantic to do for get the milk. And you don't have to do this on paper for all of these. And some of them you might not do at all. This one, maybe it's self-explanatory enough for you that you know get the milk just means get the milk. But it's helpful to uh, actually th at least have this thought process become a habit. Getting the milk looks like going to the store and bringing home one gallon of that delicious 2% milk. So that's actually already pretty clear in my head. But what if we, let's flip this over and say that we wanted to do it for this one, rebuild website. Now here's a problem. This is much more complicated than get the milk. Oftentimes we'll jot down things like this, like rebuild website, which sounds simple on paper, it's only two words, but we lack uh, the ability to make progress on it because we haven't really clarified what we truly want in the end. What is our definition of done? And so in this example, rebuild website, we need to get specific. And this question allows us to do that. What is my desired outcome? Well, in the end, I'll know my website is done when it's moved to Webflow and when all articles are migrated and when it has a new design and a B or above speed on Pingdom. So here I've really specified exactly what I want to have happen. 
I'm asking myself, what is my desired outcome? What would it look like for this, this to do to be complete? And by doing this, you see, I have built a project. I'm realizing this is more than a to-do. This is a full-on project. So this brings us to the third question, which is, will this take more than one action to close this loop? Will this thing that I've written in my inbox take more than one action to close it? I think that we can very definitively say, yes, it's going to take a lot more than one action. Each of these items will probably take more than one action to do. This is a very big project. And in fact, that is what we're talking about. Many of these things in your inbox are going to be projects. And so let's make a definitional distinction here. A task is any one-off thing that you can do, right? Getting the milk was a task. That's why it didn't make it very far down our list of questions. But rebuilding a website is more than one task. And this is how David Allen defines it. He says a project is any outcome that takes more than one action to complete. This is why we often fail to complete complex tasks because we haven't recognized that they're not actually tasks, they're projects. Doing this step is critical, clarifying, organizing these into projects that are doable. So if the answer is yes to number three, then we need to ask another question. What's the next action? This is something uh, David Allen in his book, Getting Things Done, really, really harps on, the next action. In fact, in the later parts of the book, he says, really, if you just want to take one thing from this book, take away this next action step. If all you did was look at your inbox and ask yourself, what is the next physical action I can take to move this thing forward and wrote that down, you would get 99% of things on your list done. It, it would just, it would be so much easier. And that expression physical action is important. You need to ask yourself this and really force yourself to answer the question. What specifically can I do next? Not decide, not something vague or ethereal. Make sure it's a verb. What can I actually do? Because at the end of the day, nobody actually does a project. We do actions that lead to a project being completed. So all you need to do is ask yourself, what is the next action? And then you can move forward. So in the case of this project, rebuilding a website, what's the next action I need to take to move this forward? What's the very next physical thing I could do to start moving this down the road? Now, someone who has built websites before and worked in, in the website world, I think the next step is gonna have to do with design. And I really think the next step I need to do is not call a designer, but I need to start figuring out a little more definition of what I want in a design. So I'm gonna make a task that says, make a list of 10 websites whose design I like, because I know when I start talking to the designer, they're gonna ask me, what do you like? So I'm gonna have a list ready and I'm gonna mark them up and say, these are the things I like about these websites that I'd like to do on mine. That's a really well-defined next task. That's something I can do. I can sit down for an hour or 30 minutes find the 10 websites I like and start saying what I like about them. Now I can start moving on this daunting, huge, massive project because I'm not making a list of everything I need to do to get this project from, from start to complete. I'm not coming up with a, a Gantt chart, you know, a waterfall thing that's gonna bring me all the way to the end. All I need to know is what's the next thing. So now I know exactly what I need to do and I can 
do this next thing and start moving this project a little bit closer to completion. Let me just show you as an example how we would do that with this last item in our inbox, plumber. You'll remember that our problem was that we have a garbage disposal that's making a whole load of racket, it's driving us insane, and we need to get it fixed. And so I wrote plumber down as I was thinking about it, and then I moved on with my day. Then I came during my weekly review to process my inbox, I said plumber, oh yeah, I gotta get the garbage disposal fixed. So I might clarify it and say, fix garbage disposal. Does anyone, does anybody uh, abbreviate garbage as GBG? Do you guys use garbage enough in your life that you use the GBG for that? I don't know, that's just silly. Anyway, fix garbage disposal. So what's the next action? Well, I said plumber before, and maybe that's a good next step, but I need to clarify it. What's the next thing I need to do on this? I might not be able to do it right now, but what would the next physical thing to be? So in this case, the next action might not be call the plumber because you're not calling, maybe you have called the plumber written down for a long time, but the reason you're not calling is because you don't know the plumber's phone number. You don't remember, you know you call the guy, but it's been several years. Who was that we used that we liked? And so you keep having call the plumber on your list, but you never do it because you haven't taken the step of thinking, wait, what's the next physical action I need to do to move this forward? So in this case, we've said, go find that old invoice from when you had the bathroom repaired and that plumber was there that you liked and get the phone number for the plumber. So that's the next actual action. And you don't need to go further than this. All you need to do is give yourself a breadcrumb. Give yourself something that allows you to move this project forward when you have time, okay? So that the next time when you come to look at all of your, your projects and what actions are available, what you can work on, you'll see, whoa, I, I don't need to fix the garbage disposal. That's a project, all I need to do is, hey, I've got a few minutes, let me go look at, at those old receipts and I'll go find that number for the plumber. That's way easier, right? And then guess what happens? When you ask this question what the next action is and you define it, and then you end up taking those actions as the occasion arises to take them, you'll find your projects just slowly start completing themselves. And really, I think this is like a huge, just as an aside, this is a huge lesson here. The way to get more done the way to make sure your projects keep moving forward is actually less related to doing more and more related to thinking more about what you're actually trying to do. Which you'll find when you start to make it a habit to go through some of these questions and to force yourself to really define what you're trying to accomplish, what you'll discover is that you don't have so many projects anymore. It's not so daunting because what you really have is a list of really simple next actions to take. Things that might take five minutes, 10 minutes here and there, but they're so well defined that you don't have to spend all that uh, time, it doesn't take all that cognitive load to figure out, oh, what exactly do I need to do? I have five minutes, what, what could I do with these extra five minutes? You look at your actions, you say, oh, I can run down and look in the, in the file box and get that number for the plumber. And that, maybe that's all you do but each of the projects starts making progress little by little if you take the time to define what you're trying to accomplish and exactly what the next step is to get there. So after you've defined the next action, you don't necessarily need to do it right now, but it's good to ask yourself this last question. Can I do this right now? I've just made this really next action on this really simple, it's get this old invoice, and I realize, man, 
the, the file cabinet's right there. Why don't I just grab this right now, take two seconds to do that, and I'll write the phone number down in my phone, and so uh, I'll call him. And often what happens when you ask yourself this question is you end up in that moment doing the whole project, especially for these simpler ones. Because if it's me, once I have that number in hand, I'm gonna be like, well, wait a minute, it's between, it's business hours right now. Why don't I just make the call, get the guy scheduled, and then the project is literally all but done because now it's in the plumber's hands, he's gonna come over on that day, and the issue's gonna get solved. But it all happened because you took just a second to define it, and once it was defined, the, the, the project became doable because you turned it into verbs. This part here, can I do this right now? This is what David Allen would call the two-minute rule if you do GTD stuff. Uh, and basically, the, the, the razor he uses, he doesn't say, can I do it right now? He asks, does this take two minutes or less? And if it does take two minutes or less, then he does it, which is a, a helpful paradigm in certain cases. Uh, to simply do stuff that takes two minutes or less. So those are the five questions that you're gonna wanna ask yourself during the organize phase. Am I still committed to closing this loop? What is my actual desired outcome? Will this take more than one action to close this open loop? What's the next action and can I do it right now? If you go through this step as you process your inbox, you will find so much more clarity about what you're trying to actually accomplish. Now in the next segment, we're gonna talk about the prioritize phase. What do we do now that we've turned all these things into projects with next actions? How do we decide which one to do first? I'll see you guys in the next video. Alrighty, well, continuing right along, we are here in the practice phase still of our course. And just as a refresher, here's where we've covered so far. We've talked about centralize and organize, and we've shown how to put those into action. Now we're gonna turn our attention to prioritize. So, so far we've talked about centralize and how your inbox is the place where you wanna centralize all of the tasks, all of the to-dos that come into your life should come into a centralized place. And then it's during our organize phase that those get processed into individual projects. And that's what we talked about in the organize phase. And so we have two projects here rebuild website and fix garbage disposal. By going through those five questions in our organize phase, we arrived at a definition of done for each of these and we gave it a next action. Those are the two uh, outcomes that you want to come out of this. You wanna make sure you know what done looks like and you know what the next step is. If you've done that, you've got a project that you can actually make progress on. So now that these are projects, we wanna do a little bit of prioritization on them so that we don't have a giant projects folder, that's how you should think about this, that just is staring us in the face, <laughs> telling us all the many things that we need to do, and we open it up, we just start crying because it's way too many things. And so in the prioritize phase, you're basically dealing with that and saying, how do I make sure that I'm only really seeing the stuff that's relevant for right now? We'll show you in the next lesson what it looks like when we get to the execute phase, but that's why I put that up here, just so you remember kind of the high level stuff, but we're not actually dealing with that right now, so get out of here. So how do we prioritize? our projects. And that's really what we're talking about. We're not prioritizing the actions because we're only putting a next, like a singular next action for each project. We're talking about how do we prioritize these 
projects because some of them, they're going to be really long term. Some of them are really necessary that we start today on them and most of them are somewhere in between. So we need to add a little bit of extra layer of order to these so that we come, when we come to our daily list, when we come to executing, we are dealing with a smaller subset of our projects, something a little bit more manageable to choose from what today's tasks are going to be. So here's a couple steps you're going to want to go through as you develop your inbox into projects. You kind of want to file them in this prioritize phase. So the first thing you're going to want to do is you're going to want to ask, is this immediately relevant? Is it immediately relevant? Um, some things can wait. Other things can't. So you want to ask yourself that question. In our case, we have this uh, fixed garbage disposal issue and it really is immediately relevant because whatever that sound is that my garbage disposal is making, it could actually be destroying it. So I should probably get this dealt with. Um, however, rebuild website, I, there's nothing pressing about that. It's something I would love to get to someday, but I probably don't need to deal with it right now. And that's why in this phase, I have this thing called a future list. And it's more like a folder. So say you have a folder of projects and you have a folder of things that are in the future. In the Getting Things Done system, David Allen calls this a someday slash maybe list. And when we get to the part where I demo what this looks like in like a to-do list management software, you'll see that a lot of them have a list like this available for you that make this step super easy. If you're using a paper planner to do all of this, there are other ways to uh, hide items from yourself as well so that you're not looking at stuff that is not relevant right now. So let's do that. Let's put this website over here into our future folder. That's not really important. And then here, once this is dealt with, I should have like another projects folder down here just so it makes sense, but let's just pretend I have two of those. This is sort of our, our prioritization. The future stuff, we have a system for hiding those from us. And here we have a way to just see what is relevant right now. Now within this section, you want to do the next thing, which is order roughly by importance slash urgency. And I say roughly because this part is not actually super important unless you have a really, really long list of projects. Basically, you just want to order these in a way that the most important or most urgent stuff is going to rise to the top of the list and really rise to the top of your mind when you look at this list. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time here about talking how you order your projects because one, I don't think it's actually that important. Uh, more of this sort of ordering is happening at the daily level when you're going to be selecting what projects to work on. And two, I just don't really think that we are really able to uh, make plans as long term as we think we are. What I mean is if I make a list of I'm going to do this project, then this project, then this project, then this project, usually that never actually happens because within each project, one, new, new things are always coming into your, your inbox and oftentimes with higher priority. And two, um, you develop more clarity as you go through each project. And so I always like to just focus on whatever the next thing is. And my list of projects is always growing, always evolving, um, and it's in a rough order of priority. But I just wouldn't spend too much time here. Also with this, you want to think in terms of your long-term goals. I don't want to go super far into that right now because we're going to do a whole uh, course on goal setting and how to organize for those 
and it's just it's too much to unpack right here but that's a, a thing to keep in mind as you're organizing is I want to prioritize those things especially those that aren't urgent but are important with regard to the long-term things I'm trying to achieve and so again this this rebuilding website thing I might decide maybe I am going to prioritize that I'm going to put it in my projects list not my future list because I, I want to make, pro even though this isn't urgent, nobody's like telling, bring them by, down my neck to do this. I need a better looking website to meet my long-term goals, right? So these are just different ways of thinking about how you prioritize your projects. If you want just like one step for how to prioritize these or figure out what should be at the top of my list, a great way to do that is asking the clarifying question. This is from the book, The One Thing. Uh, really great book. If you're part of our Redeeming Productivity Academy, you should watch the Toolshed event we did with James Parker where he walked us through how to use this question to clarify your priorities. But it's a really simple process. You could look at all the projects you have and ask yourself this question. What's the one thing or the one project that I could do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary? It's called the, the clarifying question. So you can ask that about your projects and that sort of is a way to really zero in on what's the most important thing I should do next. Put that at the top of my priority list. And lastly, I would just say, don't overthink it. Uh, once again, this step of prioritization at the project level, it, it really is just getting you into a place so that you can do the next most important tasks today. So in some ways, this prioritization thing happens at this level of projects, but a lot of the prioritization is going to happen at the daily level, which we're going to look at next. So the important thing is just get all these ordered. Make sure you're getting from inbox to project. You're hiding stuff from yourself that you don't need to see till much later. We're going to talk about a review process in a later video here about how you're going to make sure that you don't forget about these. But for now, you just want to hide them away uh, in, a, in a future or a someday slash maybe list and then have a nice little neat set of projects that are actionable, that are well-defined. That is going to really fuel you for the next step, which is execute. What do I actually do today? So we'll turn to that step in the next video. All right, now it's time to put the E in COPE into practice. Uh, so far, we have been walking through each of these. We've talked about centralizing all of your tasks, any kind of uh, thing that comes at you that requires an action on your part, you capture it into a centralized system. Then we talked about organizing those into projects. And so we did that with these two, fix garage disposal, rebuild website. We gave them uh, definitions of done, what a completed version of this looked like, uh, made them uh, a next action. What's the next physical thing we can do to progress this? And then in the last one, we prioritized and we said, you know what, we're gonna wait on rebuild website. We're gonna file that under future and we're gonna prioritize fix the garbage disposal as a project we wanna take action on. Now in this section, I wanna talk about executing. And executing is that phase which happens today. Execute is the actually doing of the actions and you can only do actions right now. I know that sounds obvious, but it's an important thing to remember is projects, you can live in the world of planning. You can live in the world of the future. I'm going to do this someday. But when it comes to today, all you can do is whatever actions you choose to do today. And so I like 
to separate at this phase the projects from the actions. And again, just as I said in um, this phase where we we're separating out the, the projects that we want to see and we put others into a future uh, someday slash maybe list, in the same way, the objective, this was to hide from me stuff that's not relevant. In my opinion, when it comes to today, when it comes to execute, I only want to see the bare minimum. I only want to see what I can actually do right now. And so that is the execute phase. So let me walk you through some steps to make a daily list. Okay, so the first step you want to do is you're going to want to survey your projects list. So you're going to want to look at these projects that are in your sort of actionable category. So let's clear this other stuff away. All I want to do is look at these projects. Now, in this you know, demo, I've only have one project here, but imagine uh, that we have several and each of them has a definition of done and a next action. So what can I do with this? Well, I can take the next action. That's what I can do today. And so in this phase, I copy from several projects what I want to do next. So in this phase, I look at all the available projects that I could work on and I copy the next actions from usually about one to three projects and I copy those to my daily list. So in this case, it's a simple matter of saying find invoice. One really important note here, I advocate keeping your daily list entirely separate from your project list. And so even, even so much as to say, if you're using sophisticated software to manage all your uh, to-dos and stuff, which is what I do, the daily list, I, it could be as simple as a post-it note. Like I literally don't, I don't care about this being connected to the other system. It's a matter of focus for me. It can be a post-it note with the five things I want to do today. And a lot of you already do that. You wake up you do, and you say, okay, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z today. And you write it on a post-it note. What I'm saying is that works. You just haven't been doing the work ahead of time to make sure that what you're choosing to work and put on that post-it note today, what you're choosing to do is actually going to get you closer to what you need to be finishing in terms of projects, right? Just like from a personal perspective on all of this, for me, it's kind of been a funny journey to go through. I've had some very, very sophisticated project management systems I've used in the past. And it's interesting how when it, when it all comes down to it, I've landed back on just having a simple piece of paper with my daily tasks on it. Obviously, it's a lot more to it. I've shown you the process from, for managing a master list. But when it comes to today, I just want to be focused, you know? I just want to look at one thing and say, this is what I have to do today. And so on my daily list, I, don't, I do not care about anything else except for this list. And I try my hardest not to even open my project management software during the day because I just want to focus on doing these things that I've decided are the highest leverage activities for me to do today. So just for the sake of having more than one thing on this list, we'll add the action from our future list. Let's say we changed our mind about that website and we do want to find those 10 uh, designs we like. And we'll also add one more. Let's pretend that between <laughs> the last section and we got here, the dog started feeling sick again. And I realized I really do need to call the vet after all. And so now we've got three very clearly defined activities for the day. Really simple, find that invoice, 
identify 10 web designs, call a veterinarian. And in this one, I let's just pretend I know his number, so I don't need to do this um, thing where I need to figure out what it is first, like I do with the plumber. So when it comes to this daily list, again, I don't need to know what projects these are associated with. I mean, I do know. I could look them up if I wanted to. But in the moment, I just need to do these things. I don't need to think about anything else related to them. Now, also at this phase, you're going to want to do one more sort of level of prioritization. And that's this. Decide which one action is the most important and do that one first. This is critical because... Look, in reality, you're going to be picking a few things from your daily list that you're going to do today, but also little things are going to come up throughout the day that you have to do that are unrelated to your long-term projects. You know what I mean? Like return email. You know, stuff happens that you don't need to go through that whole process with all the time. It's just things you have to do, minutia. They don't really relate to, to bigger projects and you might need to do them. But this is where we can get into trouble because we can start to throw things on this list and even though we know this is the most important thing us, for us to be doing, unless we mark it down and say, this is non-negotiable, I have to get this one done today, we're gonna default to doing the easier, simple stuff. It's just how we are. So I really encourage you to make sure you pick one action and some people they pick a top three or a top five that doesn't work for me honestly i pick one action and i make sure that one has to get done today so in this case i'm saying i want to make progress on this website thing even more important than these other things so i'm going to make sure this happens and like i said do that one first don't put it off. Do it as soon as you possibly can because you don't want to keep moving this one forward. You want to you develop a pattern where when you say this is the highest priority thing today, you actually get it done and you don't teach yourself to always procrastinate on that. So let's say we did that step. We have decided the most important thing and we did it. I went through, I found these 10 websites I liked, I marked them up, I got them all ready so that I can give those to uh, a potential designer so they can have something to work from to do some comps for my new web design. Awesome, that's done. Well now what? Well now we want to repeat that part for each of the actions that we chose. So instead of deciding in advance that we're gonna do all of these today, I'm just saying no matter what, I'm gonna do this one. And once that's done, I decide what the next one is. This is now the most important task. Now this one I have to also get done today. And when that's done, I, I evaluate again. I really should get that email, check or identify that, then I check that off, and etc. And you might not finish all these, and that's okay. But forcing yourself to go through this process again and again allows you to live in the present. And I don't say that in some sort of like, uh, I don't know, goofy like spiritual way or something. I just mean you really can only do what you're doing right now. I say that over and over again because I, I just, for me, when it comes to productivity, I have a penchant for always projecting myself into the future and almost over planning to the neglect of actually executing. So this has just been so helpful for me because it's just always forcing me to be in the right now. What's the most important next thing? This. Even a list of four things, if they're not prioritized, has, has a tendency to make me sort of just freak out and do nothing and just go on Facebook or something. And so prioritize, execute, then prioritize the next thing, execute, and just go down your list through that. And I think you'll be surprised at how much you just forcing yourself to zoom in gets you to make progress. And that's really what we're talking about here from, from, from 
start to finish this process I've been showing you with COPE, you're going from, from uh, vagueness to specificity. You're going from lots and lots of options to very, very few options. And that's what you're trying to do. You're just filtering this thing down. This whole process is a filter to get you to what can I do next? What is the next best thing for me to do? And you're always asking yourself that. And all we're doing with this system is creating a framework that forces us to do that because we know that we're gonna procrastinate unless we really, really have definition on what the next best thing is. Okay, last, and you might be wondering, well, what do I do once I've gotten through all of these or my workday ends and I have a couple of things left? Like here, I've, I didn't finish Find Invoice. And for this one, this one actually related back to a project. Remember the web design project? Now that project's sitting out there with no next action left. So that's what you wanna do at the end of the day. Um, take five minutes at the end of your working day and go back to your projects list and define your next action. So in our situation here, we identified those 10 website designs and we need a next action for it. So we go back to our projects list and we say, awesome. I did that. Now what do I need to do? Well, now I need to call designer. Now I need to call my designer to do a consultation call and I'm gonna give him these designs. I'm gonna find out what's a quote, can he do some mock-ups for me, all of that. But now I have a clearly defined next action back in the project list. And that goes back into our pile of projects, wherever this one belongs, whether it belongs in future or current projects. And tomorrow, maybe I'll grab this and keep moving on that project. Maybe not, we'll see. The point is you just wanna leave yourself with some breadcrumbs so that next time you go to look at your projects, the definition is clear there. So I highly recommend setting an alarm on your phone. So say your workday ends at five o'clock. Set an alarm at 10 till five that says, okay, you're done. It's basically you're telling yourself, I'm done. I'm not gonna do anything else on this list. I just need to make sure that any done stuff now is going to have a new defined next action for the project it related to because I finished that one. So that's all you're doing there. And honestly, if you just repeat this process day after day after day, you will constantly be making progress on the next action on the projects that matter most to you. And they'll, you'll just find you're completing them again and again and again. Remember, the whole point of this is just to repeatedly give ourselves clarity so that we can operate in the here and the now. All of the stuff I've taught you in COP has all been in service in making sure your E, your execute, your daily list is so clear that you can't help but do the things that are gonna make you progress on your project. Okay, in the next video, I'm gonna show you exactly how I put this into action in the software I use for project management, which is Things, and I'll show you how I transfer those actions to a daily list that I keep in a physical paper notebook, which is what I work out of during the day. All right, now I wanna show you how to put this COPE framework into action using a specific software. And so for the sake of example, I'm gonna be using a software called Things, which is a to-do list manager that's available for um, iOS and the Mac. And it's really simple. I like it for one, because it's a one-time purchase. It's not a monthly subscription. And I just like some of their philosophy behind it. It's called Things by Culture Code. 
but you don't have to use things. There are many other options for to-do list management software, and I'm going to have a full list for you in the notes for this course of different ones I recommend, depending on what your needs are. But for the sake of this uh, tutorial, I just want to show you the one I use and how I actually do cope in action. First, here's just sort of like a screenshot of what it looks like. Any to-do list software you use is going to have these features in some way. I just personally like the way that things works. But each of them is going to have the five lists we talked about in the principles section. Remember we talked about an inbox? Well, any to-do list management software is going to have an inbox. This is one of the great things about using software that works on a computer, iPad phone, if you have all of those devices, is you can capture stuff on the go on your iPad. And so it fulfills that requirement of centralize that your um, your inbox is ubiquitous. You always have it with you. So that's one of the great reasons to use an app because your phone is almost always with you. Next is the projects list in the lower left-hand column there, and they have them divided up into different categories. I'll show you my own setup in a moment here, um, how you can kind of divide things up. Again, this helps you keep things organized. This helps you keep it tidy so you know what's priority and you can quickly scan these lists. And then the actions list is actually that um, vacation in Rome item they have on the list there. This, when you click on it, it opens up here and all your actions are underneath. I'll show you in the next little video how I do this, but this part right here, the note for the project is where I put the definition of done. They didn't do that here, but that's exactly what I do. I define what it means for this to be complete, and then I put the next action in here. You obviously can put many, many actions if you need to in a to-do list management software, but the bare minimum is put a next action. Then you have the future list. In here, it's called someday. If you drop projects into that, you will not see them. And you'll do a weekly review, which we'll talk about in a little bit here, that will make force you to always be looking at this list. But it's just stuff that you don't, it's not relevant right now. So you put it into this future list. And finally, they have the daily list here, which is called today, where you can drag items into there and say, these are the things I'm working on today. You remember in my own application of this, the execute phase, the today list phase, I actually don't use the software for this. I copy those down into a paper notebook, but I'll show you how it works in the software in case you don't want to do that. And it'll be pretty obvious if you want to um, do it a different way. Okay. So now let me uh, bust out the iPad and I'll show you exactly how I put these into action with my to-do list. Okay, we're talking about putting our COPE framework in action using an app called Things. I've just been showing you the list, um, how the different lists function within there. But now I want to show you live and in action how I use it. So this here, I've got the COPE framework on the left. And here is actually my iPad. This is live. And this is my actual um, Things app that I use with my projects in it. Okay, so you can see I have my my uh, the book I'm working on. I have uh, Redeem Productivity Season 3 here. I have some different projects having to do with the newsletter, the emails, some stuff, commitments with church. Lots of stuff in here. But let's jump over to the inbox and let's literally, let's go through this step by step and I'll put the COPE framework into action. This is literally what I do every day and every week as things migrate from being an inbox into something I work on. Okay, so... Remember the first uh, thing of COPE is the C, which is centralized, and that's what our inbox is for. 
I'm capturing stuff on my phone, on my computer, on my iPad throughout the day into this inbox. Let me give you a closer view of that. So here is actually an inbox item I've had in here that I have not done anything with. This is a real thing that I, I captured um, a little while ago. It occurred to me that on the author page of my website or like my bio, I should have something where people can invite me to be on their podcasts or to speak at events. Oftentimes people have to find my email. They don't know if I do those things. So I wanted to make that more obvious. So what did I do? Well, I had my phone with me. And so I just tapped out this kind of vague thing. But if I want it to be actionable, I need to do something with it. So I need to go to the next phase. I need to organize it. And you'll remember in the organize phase, we have several questions we like to go through to kind of turn our little inbox item into something doable and often into a project. So here again are those questions. The first question is, am I still committed to closing this loop? Hmm. Do I still want to add a spot on my website where people can invite me to speak uh, or be on their podcast? Yeah, I do. I do still want to do that. Okay. So then I don't delete it because that would be, if I said no, then I would delete it, right? But no, I'm keeping it there. Well, well, let's move to number two. What is my actual desired outcome for this? So this is, here's the part where it's forcing me to get specific. What do I actually want here? And in things, I would double or click on it once, not double click. And I would go into the notes section here. And this is where I would put my very clear definition of done. I want to say exactly what my outcome is. Uh, so let's do this together. I want to add a simple contact form to the bio page on redeeming productivity that vets requests for speaking or being on podcasts and then emails me the requests. So that's all I want. So now that I've defined my actual desired outcome, I will usually make the title of this a little bit simpler because now the title is not functioning in, in the inbox. The title is functioning to tell you what it is you were wanting to do and give you enough breadcrumbs to remember what it was your intention was. Now that I have this really clear definition, the title is just a title. It just is going to be over here and I, I need to keep those short and simple so that I can scan that and remember what it was. Okay. So that brings us to the next step, which is, will this take more than one action to close this loop? So here's where it could get tricky. Is I, it, uh, could I just go and build this form right now? Maybe, but I know that if I think a little bit about this, I don't actually know exactly what I want it to do yet or how I want it to look. And so I think I'd like to add uh, a multiple step to this one where I do a little bit of research, look at what other people are doing to where I like look at what's the the best type of form to use for us and three what should the email say so th there are some separate steps to this and so that makes me realize yeah this is going to be a project this is going to take more than one action to close this open loop so in things it's really easy to convert a task into a project and so that's exactly what i do i right click on it i click convert and it says do you want to make this a project i sure do I convert it into a project and there it is over there in my projects list. So that brings me to the next question, which is what's the next action? And so I want to go here. I want to click the plus sign. I want to say the next action is, so the next action is find three examples of connect forms on popular podcast and speakers pages. 
So I'm just saying I need to know a little bit more about what I want this to look for. And at this stage, I might even add notes here where I say, uh, look at Jordan Rainer's. This is where I got the idea, actually, is when I had Jordan Rayner on my podcast, he had had a pretty complex form I had to fill out to request him to be on. And so I, I'm going to go back to that and maybe take some notes on it. Another thing you can do in, in things, and this is just sort of an aside, you can add checklists with it. So you got lists on lists on lists. <laughs> so I could say Jordan Rayner, um, Tim Ferriss, James Clear. I just thinking of some different people to check out while my mind's sort of in this planning mode, I can be like, Hey, here's some, here's some ideas for people that I might check out so that when I go to do this action, I have tons of clarity on it. And that brings us to the final thing, which is, can I do this right now? So for the sake of argument, let's say that, no, I, I don't have time to do this right now. Okay. Well, that's fine because it's already a project. It's actionable. It's well-defined and I can move to the next step. And the next step, remember in our COPE diagram is prioritize. So now I've got this project here. I wanna make sure that it's uh, in the right spot. And I like to keep these in categories, abilities, responsibilities, uh, possessions, and relationships. That's something from a, a framework I use called Domains of Stewardship. I'll tell you guys more about that in a different video uh, or in a different course maybe. But uh, I'll throw this in here somewhere. It's not high priority and so I'll put it in here, but I do want to work on it soon. So I'm going to leave it on this list. If I didn't want to work on it soon, let's say I would move it to my someday list. And you can see there's a bunch of stuff in here that are ideas, things that maybe I'll get to at some point, maybe not. Um, and I review these on a weekly basis to see if any of them should be removed or if uh, I should, you know, prioritize any of those that week. And then finally, we move to the last thing, which is E. And so when I come to a day that I'm looking ahead at the projects I have for the day and I'm deciding, all right, what should I do today? Let's say I come to this thing and I say, you know what? This is not going to take me that long. I really want to get moving on this. And so I'm going to start on the action step of this. And in things, you would just drag it to today. I've mentioned before that the execute phase, I don't actually like to keep my daily list in my software. I copy those down to my notebook, but this is a good first step to do um, as you're planning your day is you can still, even if you're not gonna work out of here, you can still use things, whatever software, to mark all the stuff you plan on working to today so that it is all neat and tidy. Of course, again, you could just work out of the today list if you don't find it distracting. Personally, I find it really distracting because I'm always just looking at these other projects and all I really wanna do is the actions that I wrote down and decided to do today. So I find things really, really uh, helpful. I like this app, I like this software. I definitely uh, recommend it if you're looking for productivity software to, to use. Um, this is a good one if you're a Mac, iOS, person. So that's how I put cope into action using things. All right, now I want to take a moment to talk about your weekly review. So you might be wondering if you're looking at all this stuff we've been talking about, you might be wondering, okay, I have these like future lists, these someday maybe lists. When do I actually look at those? Aren't I just going to forget about them? Well, that is one of the many things that a weekly review allows you to do. 
another aspect of a weekly review is that it forces you to go through these steps. Now, for me, I'm frequently going through processing stuff in my inbox, trying to turn them into projects and all of that. But a weekly review is sort of a backstop that allows me, if I don't do that throughout the week, I have a spot on my calendar, and for me, it's Fridays uh, from 3 to 5 o'clock, where I go through, make sure that everything is processed out of my inbox and several other things to tie up the loose ends of my week. And that enables me to end on a strong note and kind of propel myself into the next week with a plan. So let me walk you through the parts of a weekly review. So the first part of a weekly review is dealing with the loose ends. So you want to, again, this is one of the things you should do right now. In fact, pause this video and put a thing on your calendar that gives you about an hour or two at the end of each week. It doesn't have to be at the end. I like to do that because it enables me to go into the weekend kind of with everything closed up. So Friday, end of day, I don't do anything um, important after about three or four o'clock. So I have time for this. Uh, but the first thing you want to do is deal with loose ends. So this involves several things. One is getting to inbox zeros or social media direct messages as well too. Any sort of messages I get that are sitting there unread, unresponded to, I deal with those in this time. I clear my drafts folder uh, in, I use an app called Drafts where I have a bunch of ideas that aren't really projects. They're just kind of stray thoughts. I make sure that's cleared. It's put in the right places. Uh, meeting notes are turned into action items. So if you've had a bunch of meetings, you need to go through those notes, turn those into action items, dump those into your project management software. Um, I clear, this is the important part of what we're talking about with to-do lists, is I clear the inbox of things and I turn those into projects or delete them or whatever it takes to get that inbox empty. Um, get rid of loose papers that are on your desk, mail, anything. Like you kind of want to make sure your workspace is clear and everything is nice and tidy and finished up. And then as well, capture any, as you're going through that process, ideas are going to pop up. Make sure you're capturing those in your inbox or somewhere else so that you can look at them next week. A big part of that is just basically you're trying to let yourself shut down for the week so you don't think about work on the weekend. That's how I think about it. Uh, the next step is to look ahead. Look ahead. So this is where I'm going to look at my calendar. What's coming up next week? What do I need to be thinking for? Is there anything I need to put on my, my to-do list to do early in the week so that I don't forget about it? Um, like an appointment that's on Friday that I need to do prep for, that kind of stuff. Look ahead at your projects list. What are my top priorities? At this point, I'll often go through the, 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 the P of the COPE framework and rearrange some of my projects just as I'm looking at them. I'm going to go through, I'm going to put them in an order I think makes more sense. I'm going to move stuff out of the someday list that I want to deal with next week. This is the part where you're actually looking at everything you have in that to-do list manager and making sure everything's in its right spot. And if you force yourself to do this weekly, you won't have this thing where projects sit undone for months and months in there. At this stage, you're also going to want to make sure that you are defining next actions, that you're clarifying all of those steps that you do with the inbox. You want to make sure you're doing that here. Um, it's also a good time that in your projects list, if you're finding that some projects seem to be stopped, I would look at that next action. Say, is there actually a, a truer next action that I need to put here instead of this one? Is the reason that I'm not doing this project, is it because I didn't clarify the next enough. So I would just go through those questions again, make sure that it's clear, make sure it's actionable, make sure your definition of done is there. 
This is also a good time to ask, is there anything that I'm working on that I'm waiting for someone else to follow up on? Make a to-do list item for yourself. Follow up with so-and-so on Monday, right? All that kind of stuff, you're just kind of dumping your brain into here. You're, you're reflecting, you're, you're, you're clarifying, and you're putting any new ideas into here. Next, uh, part of the weekly review is you're going to reflect on the week. Um, I'm big on this. I think it's important to reflect on what we've done. Uh, personally, I keep a paper journal. I like to spend a few minutes and just think about my highs and lows for the week. What went well? What are things I can improve on? What, uh, what am I disappointed in? What, which of my habits are working? What aren't working? Where could I do better? How's my walk with the Lord? It's kind of just, if you're going to do this weekly checkup on your work anyway, why not do a checkup with your heart as well? And since we're Christians and we're integrated beings, I like my work and my walk with the Lord to not be these separate spheres. And so I'm thinking about my work in light of, in light of Christ and in my relationships as well. And this is a good spot to pray as well. I'll, I'll include that in the fifth point here too, but often that'll come up during this reflection part where I'm just giving thanks to the Lord, asking for help on projects, things of that nature. And then number four is get creative. I find that this happens very naturally once my head is clear and I've spent some time reflecting. It's a very interesting thing. You, you go through this process to sort of review everything and you get everything organized so you're ready to shut down for the week. And all of a sudden your brain says, you know what? It's time to turn, uh, open up the faucet of the idea spigot and you will just get insanely, insanely creative at this point. At least that's been my experience. And so usually that journal during that reflect portion is filling up with ideas. Usually I'm dumping stuff into my inbox, but what if I did this? Oh, what about this thing? Or blah, 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 blah. And so that's why it's good to do this with your task management system right there in front of you because you'll find that often in this phase where you're trying to wrap things up, you're, you're generating more and more ideas for things to do. And then the last step, as I mentioned before, is pray. Pray. Um, I love to not only just give thanks to the Lord for the work of the week, for the, the highs that happen, and you know, ask for help with the lows, but I love to ask for wisdom. And I think this is so critical, guys, as Christians who are trying to manage our tasks. This is not, um, this is not purely just a mental thing. The, the, this, is, this is a spiritual act. We are trying to steward our lives well. We're literally, this is the nitty gritty of stewardship of time. This is it. Weekly review, organizing prioritizing projects. This is what it looks like in action. It's not just a principle. It's something you're doing. And so I think that whole activity needs to be bathed in prayer. Ask James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. So wonderful thing to do while you're planning, while you're reflecting, while you're reviewing the week that has just come before you. So that's uh, my quick five-step uh, process for doing a weekly review. Again, highly recommend, open up your calendar, put a repeating uh, appointment here. Don't let it be interrupted. It doesn't have to be Friday at the end of the day, like I said. It can be, some people do these on the weekends. Some people do them uh, on Saturday or Sunday. Whatever works for you, but put something on the calendar and just start doing it. Just give yourself a little checklist. I love this is where checklists come in handy. Say, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. In fact, in my things program, I have a recurring um, to-do that happens that shows up this time every week. 
and it has a little checklist in there like I showed you when I was showing you things. And it, I have to go through each of those. Did I clear my inbox? Did I write that stuff down? Did I clarify my stuff? And that just forces me to go through this process step by step. So highly recommend it to you. And uh, do do a weekly review. This is what makes this whole system actually become trusted. After you do this for a few weeks, you will find that you don't worry about stuff you put in your inbox or your someday maybe list. You literally, that Zygernik effect goes into um, an effect and you can get it off your mind because you know you're going to deal with it because you have a system that isn't leaky. It actually works. You're doing to-do lists right. Well, I hope that this course has been helpful for you, that really thinking through the principles of how a to-do list works, what you're trying to accomplish with it, and how it really fits in with practically stewarding what God's given us to do. I hope that all of that has been helpful for you and that you can put these tips into action. Uh, before we finish talking about to-do lists, I want to leave you with some final thoughts to kind of wrap it all up and put a little bow on it. And here they are. The first one is you're never going to get this perfect. Um, your to-do list are never going to be exhaustive. Even if you, you know, go to a cave in the woods and camp out for several weeks on end and try to empty your whole brain into the to-do list, on your walk back to your house, there's 10 more things that are going to pop into your head. So you're not going to get it perfect. You're never going to be exhaustive. You're always going to wish that things were prioritized differently. And you're going to do something and say, oh, was that the right thing to do? You just kind of have to operate on what's the best next thing for me to do. That's really all you can do. Um, you're rarely going to finish everything on your to-do list. You really aren't. You're not going to get it perfect. You're not going to finish all the stuff, even the daily stuff. I rarely finish my to-do list, but I really believe that even though we might not get it perfect, even though the to-do list might never really be complete, that's not really the point. The point of the to-do list, in my thinking, is I want to have planned and I want to have an objective for the day. And I really find in my experience that even though I may not complete everything, the practice of having planned means that I complete more than I would have if I hadn't planned. Next, you can only do one thing right now. Again, I know this sounds like an obvious thing to say, but this is really the thing that we get lost in a lot. At least I do. I want to have a bias toward executing and completing what I think is best right in this moment. Then you lift your head up and you evaluate what the next thing is to do. If you spend all your time trying to plan, get everything perfectly in order and have a super long list of actions before you even start, you might not ever start. And so that's why my emphasis has been on the next action stuff throughout this. Obviously, you could build out really long lists. The software is designed to do that in some projects that make sense. But the bare minimum is just figure out what the next thing is. And usually, once you knock over that domino, the rest just start becoming obvious and falling. And so focus on the now. You can only do one thing, and you can only do it right in this moment. So figure out what that is and do that next thing. Next, clarity comes while you're moving. You know, there's an expression that you can't, you can't steer a car that's not moving. Uh, a lot of times we try to get our plans perfect in our heads before we start driving. I'm a big fan of build the boat while you're sailing it. So focus on that. Focus on the clarity you have right now and just take the next step. It's not about perfectly choosing the right next thing. It's just getting enough clarity for me to take the next action on it. And then most importantly, remember that you are under grace. 
God does not love you because of how good you are at removing items from your to-do list. God loves you because you are in his son, Jesus Christ, who perfectly fulfilled God's requirements of the law, lived a righteous life that we didn't live, and he died to pay for our sinfulness. And I can stand before God and I can stand before men with confidence, even as I fail daily to live up to even my own standards, because Christ has lived up to God's standards on my behalf. And that, friends, should be an encouragement to you. And so this whole thing, what are we doing here? Why are we trying to do to-do lists done right? What's the objective with all of this? I want to manage my tasks without losing my mind so that I can glorify God with how I steward my time. And this is a daily battle, friends. Every day I wake up and I meet the day and I say, what is it I should work on? What's the, how, what good can I do in the world today? As Benjamin Franklin used to say, how, what good thing can I do to glorify God? What's the best action? Having a to-do list management system allows you to clarify that and make those choices repeatedly and consistently so that you're always making progress and you're not stuck in your own head, just thinking and wondering, oh, do I have this? Do I have this? Nope. Don't lose your mind. Have some focus, have some clarity and do the next things. That is how you do to-do lists done right. Hey guys, welcome to To-Do Lists Done Right, how to manage your tasks without losing your mind. My name is Reagan Rose. I'm the creator of Redeeming Productivity, and I will be your host today as we dig into the exciting topic of to-do lists. And I say that half jokingly, to-do lists are like the most mundane sounding thing ever, right? Just having a little checklist on a piece of paper with tick boxes next to it. Why would you even want to take a course on how to do that? It seems so simple. But in my experience, most people don't really know how to keep an efficient to-do list or their to-do list is so incredibly overwhelming, they don't really find it useful. So I've designed this course to walk you through the fundamentals, the basics of managing a to-do list that's going to make you more effective, more efficient, and as a Christian, hopefully a better steward of God's time and resources. In Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul writes, Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. This verse is actually where I get the name redeeming productivity from in the King James. Instead of saying, um, make the most of the time, it says redeem the time. And the idea is that as God's stewards, as people who've been entrusted with these lives, this speck of time on earth that we have, we are charged by God with making a good return on that. And that, of course, means walking in obedience to him. That means living faithfully as a Christian. It means speaking to him daily through prayer and studying his word. But it also means managing the things he's given you to do with wisdom. Walking wisely, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most use of the time. 
This is our goal. This is our objective. But we live in a complex world that makes this pretty hard to do at times. It can be overwhelming. And that's where a common grace, simple thing like knowing how to keep a good to-do list can really help you to be a more faithful steward with your life.